How come they never call it a hot open? <laughs> I don't know, actually. What is a... I mean, I don't know where that comes from. So a cold open comes from Dave Portnoy. I can't do the... I don't want to do... It's Felix's territory now. I can't talk about Barstool Sports. Even though I listen to the sex podcast, they do. Uh, why is everyone talking about Barstool Sports? Well, I've been talking, as you know, I've been talking about the Barstool Sports sex podcast for quite quite a few many months now. Yeah, you talk about that a lot. Uh, but Felix has certain mental illnesses that makes mm. him repeat st- things over and over. <laughs> and then people think what he say is funny, and they're like, I can be funny too. And then they say the same thing, but they're not funny. Mm. And so it sort of just becomes this like Did something thing. happen with Barstool or what? Yeah. Uh, it came out that the owner of Barstool Sports had pretended to be Native American for a no. bunch of years. <laughs> And he actually got the uh, Dave Portnoy. He actually got the um, well. He's his CEO position due to that federal contracts for Native Americans. He he's kind of a troll, isn't he? I think the whole thing's an act. I, you know what? I'll tell yeah, you what. I don't really care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't know. I don't. Get I find it. all of it to be annoying. Here's people my who thing. People get mad about him, and people who don't get mad about him. Here's my thing. Who care? Well, actually, that's not your thing. That's my thing about them. Okay, yeah, okay. I was about to say that. that no, no, respect, Big Dave. To, yeah, or more favorite Jewish listener, Big Dave. Yeah, no, respect. I know where... I don't respect him. Well, I know I, I know that that's his thing. Yeah. But what I mean is, who care about Borstal? Yeah, that's true. Well, I... You just know, don't pay attention. You Guess know what? Me, you can I just do. not pay attention. Well, that's actually extremely not true. Within, are you kidding me? You can't not pay... You cannot pay attention? If the people listening to this podcast could not pay attention, they would not I'm all about be on SSRIs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they don't like sports. You yeah, love I sports. love sports, and guess what? I don't know shit about Barstool. Here's the thing. Liz watches sports. I fucking play sports. Me and Young Chomsky play high lie at the WYMCA <laughs> every Sunday. Uh-huh. We go in there, big-ass white shorts, big-ass white tee, big-ass white hat. And we fucking flicked those balls back and forth. I lost a finger doing it. I bled out for two days before I realized what was going on because I was so hyped from fucking beating all these motherfuckers out there. It's like, oh, oh, you're, I'm not from the Dominican Republic. I can't play high life. Fuck you. I'll beat you. Anyways, uh, welcome to True and Hot. <laughs> Welcome back to Truth Hour. Well, actually, welcome back to True and On for another hour. Uh, we are joined again by our illustrious guest. We have Ben here. That is at House Trotter on Twitter. I am joined, of course, as usual by... Oh, Liz. Hi. And producer Young Chomsky. Ben, how you doing, baby? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me back. I am so excited to delve into it. You know, it's it's in in retrospect, it seems a little silly that we thought we were going to get to the nine eleven attacks today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like too much stuff. Yeah. So this is going to have to be a kind of like ongoing true and on series, which I think it'll be nice to yes. kind of like come back and revisit every once in a while because, yeah, there's um, absolutely no way we could even begin to just get into like. It's not even just the timeline leading up, like, 
you know, the timeline of all the terrorist activities and the different characters leading into the 9-11 attacks, but also just like hour by hour, what happened that day is so crazy. So that'll have to be, um, we'll have to get to that. But what we're talking about today is pretty crazy. Yeah, we have, you want to start us off here? I know you wanted to talk about a certain CIA station. Yes. Uh, one of my, one of my, uh, most hated people, definitely up there on the list with George H.W. Bush for me, uh, would would definitely be the CIA trio of George Tenet, Kofor Black, and Richard Blee, mm. uh-huh. uh, who all have uh, strange personal histories and uh, bizarre connections to Al-Qaeda and the Mujahideen and other weird stuff going way back. Um, but I, I wanted to talk in particular about their... Um, one of the things I mentioned last time was that uh, there there are some very particular conspiracies where it's very clear that uh, like a very small number of people uh, actively concealed information about what was going on with Al Qaeda. Mm. Um, and we were talking about this this website, History Commons, which is yeah. a great resource if anybody wants to look at, at the hour by hour timeline. What, what's the what's the actual address of that? Uh, it's like historycommons.org, I think. Yeah, I think it's historycommons.org. The site goes down a lot. Uh, I don't know precisely why. Um, so it's sometimes just unavailable for whatever reason. But it's a great it's a great resource. Um, and this guy Kevin Fenton, uh, who wrote the book Disconnecting the Dots, which I I would recommend to people. Um, he was he was writing for that site just on an amateur basis, uh, and he was very curious about this narrative. Uh, around this idea that that it had been intelligence failures that had led to these attacks being allowed to happen, because obviously there was all this all this stuff in the media about uh, these memos, you know, Bin Laden mm, determined yep. to strike in the United States, all of that right. stuff. And since and and in the, the much NSA, later years, like not communicating with the CIA and all well, that. That stuff. was that was a big impetus for for the uh, Patriot Act and mm. Department of Homeland Security creation that department was this coordination between intelligence agencies because that right. was seen as as the basically the failure that led to the attacks. Yeah, and and even stuff like, you know, uh, CIA agents being placed in the NYPD for instance, uh, which is theoretically totally illegal right, for right. the CIA to be involved in domestic policing, but the excuse was, well, you know, we need this liaison because New York has, you know, been a likely target for all these terrorist attacks, et cetera. So it, yeah, it, it provided the justification for this uh, concentration of of intelligence in a in a in, in letting the CIA really get its tendrils uh, everywhere. Um, yeah, and and Fenton was, uh, I don't know if he was skeptical, but in any case, he was researching what had happened. You know, just to kind of get a uh, a narrative of what had happened here. Uh, and what he discovered was that it was not a, a case of systematic failure to share intelligence. There were lots of examples of intelligence being shared between agencies, uh, and, and there was, seemed to be no problem. Uh, but he, through a, a close reading of a few different reports, the, of course, the 9-11 Commission report, but also the earlier uh, congressional inquiry into the intelligence failures, uh, as well as a couple of uh, inspector general reports for a couple of agencies, and he, he, he discovered through this that it was actually a very small number of people within this CIA station called the Alex Station. Uh, and the Alex Station was set up in the late 90s. Uh, you know, most CIA stations are focused on a, a particular geographical area, uh, you know, like the Berlin station, the Bangkok station, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, and so this one was set up 
specifically to follow Al-Qaeda and to track what was going on with them. Uh, and the, in, in theory, or ostensibly, the station was uh, a way to get information where it needed to go. I mean, it was, in theory, this, this was created specifically to facilitate information sharing. Uh, and there were, for example, several people from the FBI detailed to the CIA station. Oh, we have some, we have some coordination there. Yeah, exactly. Which is precisely what they said was the problem. Uh, but no, that was the that was the idea. And I think I think actually what it what it was was basically an information black hole. Uh, it was a place where, you know, somebody from let's say Abu Dhabi has some information. They send that. Oh, that goes to the Alex station because it's Al Qaeda related. And then the Alex station just sits on it and doesn't right. do anything with it. Yeah. Um, and there are tons of examples of this. Um, but just to, I guess to talk through some of the people. Uh, and because I think some, some of the stuff that's come out since then is, I think, tried to either pin it on Richard Blee specifically and say it didn't go above him. Um, there's all this weird, even like weird, because his identity was concealed for a long time. Yeah. Um, and Fenton and some other people figured out who he was. And since then, there's been these, these puff pieces, basically, that have come out about him. Uh, but he was, he was the son of this guy, David Blee, uh, who was the longtime Soviet bureau chief for the CIA. So he was, you know, Blee was kind of a company guy from, from the very beginning. And he was George Tenet's executive assistant uh, okay. uh, for a long time. So very, very close to Tenet, uh, which again makes it, uh, makes it seem like if Blee was doing it, you know, Tenet was going to be yeah, absolutely. the one behind it. Well, especially when we get to some later sections, George Tenet's name um, comes up in a very peculiar context. Yeah. Yeah, uh, right, exactly. It's not isolated. Tenet has got, yeah, exactly, fingers fingers all over the place. Uh, and so he, yeah, Tenet places Blee in charge of the Alex station. Uh, and he brings in another guy, Tom Wilshire, uh, and a woman, Alfreda Francis Bukowski, was another uh, senior person, My God. Uh, deputy to Wilshire. And she was, Charles she's the character. mother. <laughs> she was, uh, Bukowski was uh, the person that Jessica Chastain's character in uh, yeah. Zero Dark Thirty was based on. She was the uh, the torture queen, the so-called torture queen. Fucking propaganda movie. I regret masturbating to it. Oh, Jesus. Just her scenes. And yeah, there are, there were two, there were two FBI agents, uh, Doug Miller and Steve Rossini, who were detailed to this unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and their job ostensibly was to take information from the CIA that was relevant and pass it along to the FBI. And so one, just as an example of a piece of evidence that they got, um, it's, it's not quite clear exactly how they got it. Either, either the uh, UAE Customs might have given it to the CIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other story is that they, they went into these um, two Al-Qaeda hijackers' hotel rooms and, and got the information. But there were two. I've read uh, that story before. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's this whole visa thing, right? Yeah. These mm-hmm. these nine eleven hijackers had a U.S. visa, and the CIA knew about it. And these two guys from the FBI tried to get this information out and to the FBI. Obviously, it's highly relevant that these people are coming to the United States. Uh, that's ostensibly something that the FBI would be concerned about, and it, they just never got the information. Well, that's uh, that's very similar to another case in Phoenix. A flight school instructor mm-hmm. uh, reported that there were some suspicious people, uh, some sp- yes. suspicious Arab men, um, doing flight training, but in a weird way. Like uh, he, he felt uncomfortable with it. He reported it to the FBI. FBI agent reports it up the chain. 
he asked, maybe we should check out if there's any similar things going on elsewhere in the country, and uh, he never hears back. Yeah, yeah my Arnie, favorite. Honjour, Flight 77. Yes. Yeah. My favorite one with him was that he was actually, like, n- notably, like, a terrible pilot. Yeah. And no, no, I mean, like, so the like second flight school that he was at, Mm -hmm. they were like so confused as to how he even had a pilot's license because he was so demonstrably terrible at flying that they contacted the FAA and tried to get them to look into like how this guy got a fucking license. Yeah. And the FAA just like sat on it and never got back to them. Yes. (laughs) Which is very weird. (laughs) Yeah, I mean the the ones who were training in Florida were were equally bad. I mean, yeah, yeah pretty universally, all their flights. They were like, these guys just don't care about landing. <laughs> yeah. But wait, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, we interrupted. No, well, I was. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just giving an example of of this of this uh, deliberate deliberate withholding of information. And in fact, Bukowski. Uh, so they so they had this information about this visa. You know, this Alex Station group, the CIA, had this information about this visa. These FBI agents tried to get it out. It was blocked by Wilshire. And Bukowski went so far as to, to lie to the, the two FBI agents and, and told them that she had hand-delivered it to the FBI. Uh, <laughs> this was definitely not true. The 9-11 Commission never found any evidence that this ever happened. Um, and then in all these puff pieces about Blee, him in July of 2001, saying that he knows that, that quote, the attacks will be spectacular. Well, he is aware that these people are in the United States or had the ability to get into the United States and did not act on that information at that time in, in summer of 2001. I mean, if um, they had visas, it would be pretty easy to revoke those visas. Yeah, or to put them on a watch list, yes. to have the FBI surveil them. I, and almost in fact, none the, of these guys were watch list, right? No, none of them were, and, and yeah. they, were all, they were all active in the United States. And uh, there's some interesting... Uh, you know, Prince Prince Bandar, uh, mm. who who was also known as Bandar Bush because he was very close with the Bush family. <laughs> um, you know, he was one of the people implicated in the in the twenty eight pages, the redacted, yeah, uh, confidential twenty eight pages, uh, as as being a part of the logistic network that supported, uh, in particular, these uh, Nawaf Al Hazmi and and Khalid Al Madar who were in San Diego. Uh, and he he said to a reporter that. Saudi intelligence was watching these people inside the United States, and that if only the United States and Saudi Arabia had, had communicated better, they would have found out about it. Um, I think it's pretty clear that at some level, pe- certain people in the CIA definitely were aware, right? Because uh, there's almost a deliberate pattern of trying not to know, yeah, uh, and allowing these these um, alternative uh, intelligence sources, uh, that is to say, foreign intelligence agencies that can't be. Subpoenaed, they don't have records. Right. Uh, they can be a- accountable to Congress. You yeah, know, have this, them do this. This came up last time. It's like, well, we can't look in the ISI archive. Like, we can't look in the Saudi intelligence service I- archive. Or, or, or Mossad, for that matter. Yeah, it's quite likely yeah. that that they were watching uh, at least some of the hijackers in Florida. Or maybe even on September 11th but from even, across the river. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. But even, I mean, like German intelligence had. I mean, they were basically, uh, you know, had infiltrated like a bunch of the cells in Germany where um, KSM was, I yeah. believe. 
Well, I know that there was those four from the went to school in Munich, right? Yeah, and there was like the Al Quds Mosque that they were all hanging out at, and German intelligence had all of that, and they said they were giving it to the Americans, but you know, I can't believe the Gellin organization failed like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that um, there's a there's a really interesting thing that that Fenton brings up in in his book around that. Um, because yeah, the the signs were getting extremely clear, even to foreign intelligence agencies. That, like, I think it's hard to know to what extent some of these foreign intelligence agencies were were part of the plot. I mean, certainly Mossad right. and the GID were, yeah. but like, were the Europeans? It's not clear. But definitely, they, you know, all kinds of European, different European intelligence agencies were became aware that something was going to happen um, based on just the activities of these people. And at that point, like. You know, Blee and Wilshire basically have to go into damage control mode um, because they've been sitting on all this information for for so long. So they, you know, they go through this whole process of, you know, bringing the FBI on board, which is uh, where Dina Corsi comes in, um, and and Wilshire basically instructs this this person at the FBI, Dina Corsi, to steam uh, to to stonewall as much as possible, uh, and she all these bureaucratic steps that she takes to delay, delay, delay the investigation. And actually, somebody uh, in the FBI began to start looking up, because through, a, through another investigation, they started to get some of the names of mm-hmm. the hijackers from the, the coal, USS coal bombing investigation. Mm-hmm. So the FBI had some of these names. Um, and literally on the day of 9-11, uh, uh, basically, Corsi found the most junior person that she possibly could yes. who had never done an investigation like this before, gave him these names, and uh, literally on the day of 9-11, he was just starting to uh, look these people up. Oh, my God. Fantastic. And how did that investigation go? <laughs> yeah, well, I think he looked out his window and said, oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I guess, I guess I've been reassigned. Yes. I have to follow yeah. around like a 40-year-old liquor store owner in New Jersey for the next eight years and then get yeah. one of his mentally ill cousins to do a fake terrorist attack. And even and even he was also stonewalling because, or else he was just completely incompetent because um, all of these people's information was in public databases. So once you – it was not hard to find them, right? Once mm-hmm. you have their names, you can put them into these commercial – you know, like databases that companies might use to, to do background checks on people or credit checks or whatever. You can find those people extremely easily. Their yeah. apartments are listed under their given names. Like it was not hard to find them, uh, which is why they, they were mysteriously immediately identified as soon as the attacks happened. Yeah. Uh, but he did not. You could he put them into the promise software even. Yeah, exactly. And somehow he, they didn't come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even he was stonewalling it toward, to the very, very last um, yeah, that is, so what, what, whatever happened to this guy? I don't know. I actually don't know. The, a lot of these people are, are just named anonymously or, or they're, they're given sort of pseudonyms in the, for example, the 9-11 commission report or the, uh, the congressional inquiry. So we don't really yeah. know who all these people are. Um, uh, it's, you know, Blee, for example, his identity was discovered basically on accident. Somebody, um, put his last name handwritten on a document that got scanned and uploaded to, uh, a, a database that was FOIA'd and uh, mm. some intrepid, I think it was Fenton himself or one of his assistants, you know, was just going through all these documents and <laughs> happened to see his name. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's something that, um, like, it, there's a lot of names that people know, but 
there's so many more names that like no one has ever heard of. And this like comes up a lot. And I, I think when we're talking about just power more broadly and like, you know, when we talk about like deep state actors and particularly like financial areas, like the big names that we know are not even really the, the guys that are probably the ones handling a lot of this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I mean, totally. I think they often sort of serve it like maybe the big names might serve as like the head of these networks or something. Exactly. But like. I always think about that when I think about Jamie Dimon. Oh, really? Because I'm always just like Jamie Dimon serves as such a good avatar. But, like, he's not, it's not just, you know what I mean? Like, there's so Little many people Eichmanns. that you've just, you, you will never, ever hear of their names. Yeah. Ever. And yeah. they are the ones at every, you know, at, like, the the people scheduling the Carlisle group meetings that don't even go to the Carlisle group meetings. You yeah. know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Guys Oof. like me. Ooga booga. It's, like, so scary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's funny. The CIA sort of has this, like, cast of main characters that everyone's, heard of mm-hmm. you know, angleton colby etc yeah uh my favorite of course uh is who's the fat guy what's his fucking name cut this part i can't remember his fucking name my favorite guy is william harvey because when <laughs> william harvey arrived at berlin station he went to go take a shit and his gun fell out of his pants and fell out from under his stall so i find him to be a sympathetic character even though he is a fucking piece of shit like cold-blooded murderer um but yeah, I mean, so I, I, who knows? Like again, like they hide a lot of these people's names. Um, but one of those people that they just name, you know, you mentioned before, George Tenet. His name comes up in in something I'm about to mention here. So a lot of people know that, or you might have heard. I, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people necessarily know the details, but about sort of the insider trading and the weird financial stuff that went around 9/11, right? And I I have been looking into that. Quite a bit. I've been down. As listeners to the show may know, I am very stupid. So it's very difficult for me to understand financial um, terms or words or even what money is. I kind of, I don't really even know that. But um, there was quite a lot of weird, funny stuff with money going around right before 9-11, right? Yes. What really quick right before we get to that, I do want to mention uh-huh. just in case our listeners don't know who George Tennant is. Yeah, um, but he's the former director of the CIA, and he, I believe, he was there from like the late late nineties to to like two thousand four, two thousand five. I think he was executive director or something like that. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember the years. He was definitely pretty senior under both Clinton and Bush. For sure. Never mind. You're right. He was the director. I'm thinking of a different guy who he appointed. Well, thank you. I'm right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's like, um, and I actually think he works, I, I think he's at an investment bank now, which is not surprising. Well, so the, but, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people understand CIA started from Wall Street lawyers and yeah. it has never yeah. strayed very far from that. Yeah. Both yep. lawyers and Wall Street. It's like how a lot of the leading Nazis were, were lawyers because at one point, like in the 20s, everyone in Europe, or excuse me, in Germany got a PhD. Um, a lot of our leading Nazis are Wall Street guys. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, first of all, if people should understand. So, 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 so the CIA actually tracks financial transactions like stock markets, et cetera, very closely. And they actually use the Promise software to do that, which I think is – very funny, a Robert Maxwell connection right there. Um, but it, 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 they did it before 9-11. After 9-11, they, they kind of came out in the open with it with something called Project Prophecy, which is, you know, they use, they use both the Promise software and other, or 
basically now descendants of the Promise Software to uh, to investigate weird sort of financial um, transactions to start, try to predict terrorist attacks. Mm. No idea what the efficacy of that is or even if that's the, actually the point of them doing it. Um, but one thing, so check this out. Do you know what, Liz, can you explain to our listeners what short selling is? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, well, short selling is basically, it's basically taking a bet that uh, you, you you take a bet saying um, or like predicting that a certain uh, option or an asset will uh, probably hit a low price at a certain point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you take out um, you basically take out a contract that says that you are like, you know that you have the option to sell this asset at this price in the future, yeah. hoping that it goes down. So it's basically like betting against a stock, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the it's what you would call a bearish position as opposed to a bullish. So position. when people talk about the stock market being like just betting. This is what they're talking about, kind of, or is this? The or whole just, thing? In, I mean, I think this, you know, the stock market really is just a betting market. Uh huh. Um, but this is a bet that something's gonna go down in price, as opposed to so, like you're saying, like, oh, I'm gonna, like I was telling you earlier, like so many people right now have these short positions on Tesla, mm-hmm. and they're losing a lot of money because the Tesla stock, for some ungodly reason, keeps going up, even though it's a total Ponzi scheme. Check out a upcoming True Non episode about that, but um, we're teaching people how to short sell. No, <laughs> but just the idea that they think that at some point in the future Tesla's going to hit rock bottom, and so they would end up making a lot of money that's if that were good, to be the case. That's a pretty good bet, right? Well, we'll see. So, but famously, you know, people probably know about shorts because of the financial crisis. Um, as like, you know, there's that movie The Big Short where. All those savvy, uh, if you want to call them that, although they're also evil, uh, bankers uh, basically took out short positions on all the major banks because they saw they were completely over leveraged with the, uh, in, you know, in the housing market. Gotcha. Well, so before 9-11, you might be surprised to find that there was quite a bit of short selling going on uh, in a lot of institutions very connected to the attacks, but also literally in the buildings and sometimes even hitting the buildings. So the 9-11 Commission talks about this a little bit, although they say that because they can't directly tie any of the perps to Al-Qaeda, that means that the whole investigation is basically useless. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, But the German Central Bank president, a guy named Ertz, I'm not going to try to pronounce this. I I wrote this, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Weltke? (laughs) Weltke? He said he goes over the transactions prior to 9-11, and he's like, this is absolutely proof of insider trading. And it, the, the, the German central bank president, not exactly you know, known for being a friend to the common man. So if he's saying something like that, <laughs> something's going on. Uh, but a lot of people think that it was just an airline stock. Like famously, uh, there were a couple of airlines mm. that were uh, that had some short selling going on with them. But United no, Airlines was the big one. Yes, right? that was a big one. Uh, but it was also in oil and gold, which mm. is very you know you know I'm a little gold bug. <laughs> <laughs> um, check this out. This is this is uh, so they basically eventually found a a customer 
of Deutsche Bank's Alex Brown that I was involved in this. And so Deutsche Bank, well, you love Deutsche Bank, right, mm, Liz? God, the fucking bank. I mean, yeah. what was, I can't remember the name of the episode we did on. Dusha Bank. Dusha Bank. <laughs> but what was, we did an episode with uh, Alex Skaggs about them, which is a must listen. Uh, but they were involved in trading United Airlines stock consisting of a 2,500 con- uh, contract order that was, for an unknown reason, split into chunks of 500 contracts each and then directed to multiple exchanges around the country simultaneously. Uh, they basically said that the 9-11 Commission was basically like, well, we can't connect that to Al-Qaeda, so there's no real reason to look into that. But Alex Brown... No, go, sorry. I don't mean to interrupt up to you. You raised your finger. Sit, lay it on me. No, I was just going to say that that is like an ongoing... Like, if you guys read the 9-11 Commission report, it's like an ongoing... It it's like, reads like a joke, because they're basically like, yeah. well, actually, this could have happened, but nothing to see. Can't really prove it. Even though everything is, I mean, the way they paper over everything and just kind of like throw up their hands is a joke. Well, the big problem with the 9-11 Commission report is that it basically starts from the premise that this was an Al-Qaeda terror attack. And so for any evidence to really be admissible, Mm -hmm. it has to tie directly to like Osama bin Laden, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, any of these colorful cast of characters. Um. Alex Brown is interesting. First of all, I know a girl named Alex Brown uh, who used to, uh, I believe, date the rock musician Jay Retard. It ain't gonna save me. Uh, you can't, can't say that anymore. Can't, well, he spelled, it, he spelled it differently, so I'm allowed to say it. It's a person's name, capital, you know, R. Uh, so it's the <laughs> oldest investment bank in the U.S., acquired by Deutsche Bank in 1999. Um, and check this out. So according to these interviews that I read with an in Baltimore like investment banker named Ed Hale, he was recruited to the CIA in 1992 and served for about a decade. And now the CIA, of course, recruits from all walks of life, um, you know, sometimes even podcasters. He says, I was the perfect cover because I was all over the world with my vessels and trucking here in America. So I was the perfect person to take somebody and send them out to Afghanistan or Uzbekistan. Getting out, getting people into places where they could figure out the traces and the pathways of Osama bin Laden back in the 90s, Hale said. I heard his name early on, Osama bin Laden. I didn't know who he was. It wasn't the household name that it became. So this guy, starting in 1992, is getting people into Afghanistan using trucks, you know, obviously as, um, you know, ties to the transportation industry. He was recruited by a guy named George Tenet. <laughs> Now, George Tennant is very, you know, as we mentioned earlier, George Tennant was a, I think, the head of Alex Brown. And he served there until about 1999, which I think is, is, is just one of those really crazy coincidences. So this is, this is from a website called FromTheWilderness.com. This is no longer, now it just takes you to a casino webpage that has three articles about uh, Marvel-themed... Um, uh, what are those things you call where you pull the handle? Slot, machine. Slot machines. So this is from this is from from the web. October series options from UAL Corp. That means United Airlines were purchased in oh, yeah, were purchased in highly usual volumes three trading days before the terrorist attacks for a total outlay of twenty seven hundred or two thousand seventy. Investors bought the option contracts, each representing hundred shares for ninety cents each. This represents two hundred thirty thousand shares. Those options are now selling at more than $12 each. 
there are still 2,303 so-called put options outstanding, valued at $2.7 million and representing 231,300 shares, according to the Options Clearinghouse Corporation. The source familiar with the uh, United uh, Trades identified Deutsche Bank Alex Brown, the American investment banking arm of of German giant Deutsche Bank, as the investment bank used to purchase at least some of these options. So a, a investment bank that was run by a guy who was at this at the point of 9-11, in fact, about, I think, six months before 9-11, George Tenet was appointed executive director of the CIA. He had run this bank just a couple years prior, which I think is just fucking insane. You know, and it's one of those connections that, like, you can't really... It's hard to explain to someone in a very quick way. Like, I had to look up what a lot of these terms meant myself. Um, but it is, it is just absolutely insane. So more on Deutsche Bank is that Deutsche Bank actually had offices, uh, right around, uh, the World Trade Center site. They were demolished, I think like five or six years later. Um, but they weren't the only people with offices there in building seven, which we all know and love. Uh, there were a couple (laughs) of very interesting, you know, I mean, you know who was in there, Ben, you tell them. Well, yeah, there there were offices of of the CIA were were located inside World Trade Center Seven, mm-hmm. and the SEC, which uh, which is the Security Exchange Commissions, which would be very uh, let's say pertinent to what we're talking about. Uh, so the data from the computers in those offices was, of course, mostly destroyed by by the nine eleven attacks. Similar at the Pentagon as yeah. well, like we mentioned. Of course, we all know that Building 7 was not hit by a plane, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just <laughs> fell over due to strong crosswinds and the the air generated from a particularly uh, aggressive group of dancers uh, located <laughs> nearby. Yeah, well, we, uh, yeah, we definitely don't have the bandwidth right now to get into building seven. Oh, we'll talk about building but, seven, but oh my not today. No. So the data from those computers was, was thought to be very important by at least some people. And so they hired a company called Convars, a German company that was financial retrieval, all this kind of shit to go in there. And Convars actually get some of the hard drives from the SEC's computers in there. And they say that, uh, they had after they had restored the information from 32 computers that there were suspicions that some of the 9/11 transactions were illegal. So Richard Wagner, Wagner, which I don't like it when Germans are named that, and so I'll just skip over it. I'll just call him Richard from now on. A Convar employee told uh, Kirschbaum, which was an employer, uh, or excuse me, a reporter at Reuters, that illegal transfers of more than 100 million dollars might have been made immediately before and during the disaster, and there is a suspicion that some people had advanced knowledge of the approximate time of the plane crashes in order to move out amounts exceeding $100 million. They thought that the records of the transactions could not be traced and, and uh, after the mainframes were destroyed, which uh, isn't great. And um, according to that book, you, you know, have you ever read Crossing the Rubicon, Ben? A very long time ago. That was like one of my first <laughs> introductions into this in high school, actually. Well, according to that book, a uh, an unnamed Deutsche Bank uh employee says that uh, about five minutes before before the planes hit, their computers were taken over by an external system and all of their files were downloaded in different places across the country. 
Of course, he evacuated that day, so, you know, didn't stick around to see exactly what happened next. But uh, he also says that there was a lot of sort of traffic and a lot of uh, communication between uh, the Alex Brown offices in Baltimore, New York, and, of course, Langley. So, yeah, little funny. The next day, September 12th, the chairman of the board of Deutsche Bank, Alex Brown, Mayo, this guy, check out this guy's name, Mayo A. Shattuck III, uh, he quits. So the day after 9-11, this guy just fucking up and quits, doesn't really say anything about it, never puts out a statement, even though he still had a three-year contract left and got like millions of dollars per year. Uh, check this out. My man Mayo was also a trustee at Seagram's, with, of course, Seagram's owned by the Bronfman brothers, who, of course, were very closely connected to Leslie Wexner and thus Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> and, of course, they're connected to the entire deep state. You know, their daughter was holding fundraisers with fucking Tim Kaine in 2016, which is about as depraved as you can get. Tim Kaine, ah, uh, Tim Kaine in the membrane. Tim Kaine in the brain! Um, so, I mean, this thing is, it's, it's, it's just wild to see these names pop up over and over and over again. Yeah, there were a couple lawsuits actually filed that, I mean, it, it sounds kind of wild. It seems like the courts kind of threw them out because, again, insufficient paper trails and evidence. Mm-hmm. But a couple people claimed to have, like, bribed FBI uh, agents to get information about like advanced knowledge of September 11th in order to basically short a bunch of stocks. No shit. Yeah. Um, there's a piece in the Times from 2002 where, you know, it says the San Diego stock advisor was accused of bribing an F- FBI agent to give him confidential government information, which may have had prior knowledge of the September 11th attacks. One current and one former FBI agent were charged Wednesday with using confidential government information to manipulate stock prices and extort money from companies. So what's really fascinating about that, too, is that, like you were saying, I don't know if this was before we started recording or or after, but you were saying, like, you know, people perhaps with advanced knowledge, you kind of like, you know, utilizing the market to make some off the books money, mm-hmm. generate some profits. But it sounds like, I mean, for as much as like all this information was kind of like Ben, as you were saying, getting like, you know, thrown in a black hole, mm-hmm. kind of like, this isn't a term, but like dead zoned or whatever mm-hmm. that like, it all kind of also like a lot of people seem to kind of know something was going to happen. And we're all yeah. just kind of like all random people just seeing if they could cash in a little bit. Yeah, it seems totally. Like. I, I kind of disagree with that. I'm thinking, I'm thinking this was, this was similar to the drug trade operation where this was this deep state group just generating cash for itself. It could be, I mean, both of, both of these are basically just guesses, but I'm actually sympathetic to both views because these people are basically like money pigs to begin with. Um, Yeah. But I mean, if they were, if they were thinking of a way to basically pay for all of this and to perhaps pay for some, from further activities, this would be a great way to do it. Yeah. I mean, these are all the same people, right? Like the the people who go into the intelligence agencies know people who are in financial institutions from a lot of these like Yale secret societies and Mm -hmm. things like this. Um, you know, another funny 
because uh, I, I agree, I think like clearly this information was fairly widespread in certain circles. Um, an- another example is a guy, Wirt Walker the uh, third, another great name. Wirt Walker. His name Walker. is Wirt Walker the third. That's right, and he, and he was he was part of this. Uh, he was on the board of this company called. I think at the time it was called Securicom. Let me call it for two second now. But I, they're hate, basically, I hate companies called shit like that. Yeah. Always you know do something for a bad. bad time. Exactly. Yeah, it's like comic book villain name. Yeah. yeah. And and literally these these he was just on he was on the board of directors, but another person on this board was Marvin Bush. And mm. he was one of the two people, the, the other one being the person you mentioned, uh Krongard, who was who was investigated, mm-hmm. uh, that A. B. Brown situation. But he was the other person who was investigated by the SEC. And the same thing. They were like, well, this guy has no conceivable ties to Al-Qaeda, so therefore it was not insider trading, um, when it very clearly was. I just realized something. What? I feel like – did I mention Krongard's name or did I call him George Tenet? I think you called him George Tenet. (laughs) No, Krongard was basically – he was at Alex Brown and he was the guy who – he was recruited to be George Tenet's assistant. Yes, yeah, and Buzzy Krongard actually yeah, was Buzzy. the person who, who got Ed Hale. <laughs> Fucking, I know. That is like also like joke name of CIA agent. <laughs> Buzzy Krongard? <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. Yeah. So wait, yeah, tell me tell me more about work. Well, yeah, so so you know, he was on this board of directors of this company and um they did things like did the security, you know, like if you walk through the metal detector at the World Trade Center, for example, it was probably a Stratisec person who was running that metal detector, and the metal detector was probably owned by them. So I think he probably assumed correctly that there would be much more demand for this for his company, the company he was on the board of, for their services following something like this. So he buys a ton of stock in this company, uh, Stratisec, uh, literally to the day before. I think it. I think the last purchase he made was on the tenth. And yeah, the the SEC passes along information to the FBI based on the fact that this seems very much like an insider trade. Mm. And the FBI says, "Well, he's not he's not connected to uh, Al Qaeda." But of course, he was on the board with Marvin Bush. Marvin Bush has all these Carlisle connections. It's <laughs> absolutely not inconceivable. Yeah, fact, I mean, if you're likely. one, if you're like literally one degree of separation, which and the degree of separation is your father. Right. Away from a Bin Laden, I feel like right. that counts as at least a tenuous connection. You know, I'm sure that the details of this plot were were dinner, t- dinner table conversations yeah. for the Bushes at this time. You know, ugh, that's like so. Ugh, it's really upsetting. I when know you, it's like it, really internalized this. Well, it's it's also like I I got really I watched a lot of 9/11 footage the other day of like the the planes hitting the towers mm. and then people jumping out and mm. hanging out of windows and all that stuff. And it it would just struck me. I'm like, I can't believe like that someone did this. <laughs> like yeah. it's insane that they did this to basically to to profit and to and to well not just profit but to extend the hand of America further into the world. It's, yeah, yeah, that's the thing that I kind of want to like pinpoint is that I mean the you know it it's like really important to stress the effects. And like what it's not, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you mentioned on the on the last episode we did that basically a way to think about 9-11 to not make yourself go too crazy or maybe it is to make yourself go crazy. I don't know. But um, is almost like a, a, a media event that and like basically, um, you know, not to sound too whatever, but like manufactured consent for the expansion of the executive office 
intelligence agencies, like you said about the CIA getting their hands literally everywhere. Yeah. And then continued, you know, American expeditions and also private expeditions, you know, throughout the Middle Middle East and Central Asia. Um, And I think that, like, that part of the story sometimes even gets like disregarded but is really an important to like understand because the intelligence agencies had been pushing for years for expanded powers and over yeah mm-hmm. like under clinton it was like a really big initiative um i have like a theory that like hw wasn't supposed to lose in 96 <laughs> Really? Yeah, and that kind of, like, through... Because, like, you know my whole theory about that, like, pretty much the only way to explain a lot of American history is through infighting in the intelligence agencies? Yeah, this is Liz's big... Mm-hmm. This is her... Like, Obama makes a lot theory. of sense there. Hillary at mm-hmm. State makes a lot of sense there when you start to understand, mm-hmm. like, the different kind of visions and, like, who, who the kind of, like, avatars in, like, defense, you know defense like intellectuals basically mm-hmm. that all those things kind or all those people really tell a better story of American history than like kind of the big names that get thrown around. But I do kind of have a weird feeling because basically under Clinton, like, you know, the CIA, you know, the NSA and the CIA were really pushing hard mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. like expanded, like basically overreach. And yeah. They didn't really get it from him, and they couldn't really get it from Congress. He's like, I can execute Ricky Ray myself. I don't need a, <laughs> I don't need a fucking FBI agent to do it for me. No, but it's true, and like it, it didn't really pick up any steam. Yeah, from my understanding. Yeah, you know, another example of that, uh, going back to Richard Blee, you know, uh, Cheney gave this speech when he was the CEO of Halliburton in I think '98, basically saying the Caspian is this super important place now for oil extraction, Mm. Um, Lee becomes the head of trying to create this security relationship with Uzbekistan and goes there in 99, and he's trying to push for more American involvement in the region, more CIA special Mm. operations in the region, uh, and basically doesn't get anywhere, and then he presides over (laughs) the supposed intelligence failure, and then immediately after that, what happens? There's a ton of American soldiers, right, right next door to Uzbekistan uh, have, and Afghanistan. We have, yeah, we. Uh, well, I think we also don't. We have bases. I can't remember actually if it's Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan. No, but, yeah, it was Uzbekistan was a was definitely a base for special operations. Uh, yeah. as the as the invasion was beginning. Yeah, and I know yeah. they have a lot of listening posts, sort mm. of things around there too for for um, to spy on China. I don't know if I mentioned this last episode, but something I was really uh, tickled to find out was that we actually had a listening post in uh Xinjiang uh during the the, the Soviet Afghan war. Interesting. Which is, which is Interesting. bet they still wish they had that. <laughs> I feel like I would be it would be remiss if I didn't mention here the two thousand election. <laughs> because well I know we're going all over the place, but yeah. I do just really want because just because of my funny theory about how HW wasn't supposed to lose mm-hmm. um to Clinton. But it is like really important one to remember and also that's so fucking insane that fucking dick cheney was the vice president it is yeah, yeah. it's dick like cheney, insane when that I was, he was on the ticket you never hear his name anymore but when no. i was growing up dick no. cheney was like way more than bush was sort of like although it's not true he was sort of like you know uh whiffle the side is like this moron dick cheney was like the real sort of machiavellian and right. like classic villain 
Yeah, and yep. you just don't hear anything about him. Even with that Dumbo movie. I didn't watch the movie or whatever. Me either. It looks stupid. No, it looks too pornographic for my... How, what, you saw it, Ben? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> if Ben hasn't seen it, then it I don't like need to see it. It looks like a joke movie. I think I can just imagine... I would just get so mad. Didn't, I know myself. Didn't those guys make the big short, too? Yeah, yeah I and I so. hated that movie, Liz too. fucking hates... Liz has told me she hates the big short probably <laughs> once a week. It really upsets me, that movie. But anyway... <laughs> but I just want to say that, like... Um, you know, we're talking about this and, you know, the, like you mentioned with the intelligence agencies and, you know, they have a lot of, you know, they had a lot of plans, it seems that they were trying to get through dealing with the Caspian Sea, dealing with Central Asia. And, you you know, it was really key, I think Mm -hmm. that Bush and of course Cheney, uh, you know, got into the white house and, you know, let's not, you know, the 2000 election, again, was decided by the Supreme Court. Yes. In a completely unprecedented manner. Bush v. Gore cannot be... It's the only case in SCOTUS history that is... It's written into the decision that it can never be cited as precedent. Yep. It's a completely, like... Um, the only way to understand what happened was as, like, a judicial coup. In yeah, my yeah, opinion, totally. yeah, yeah, um, and like it, it's it's really not thought of in that way. I mean, I think if that happened again, for, in th- for instance, in like this next election, mm. I mean, it would be like civil war or something. I don't yeah. know. I really don't know. I mean, it, what happened in two thousand was so insane. Yeah, and the way that the media again, this is this comes up all the time on our podcast, but it's also really important as we're talking about nine eleven and what we're about to get into with, when we talk about anthrax is. The way the media is able to create these narratives that justify, like, anything that the U.S. government is doing mm-hmm. is maddening. And I remember, you know, during the 2000 election, it was like, well, I mean, the whole thing was, well, we just have to have a president now because what happens if we don't? It was like the most right. insane logic yeah, that you've yeah, ever yeah, heard. Yeah. But literally everyone was like, well, that makes, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Because what will we do? And it's like, what? Well, it was also just like they confused the issue so much just like with the uh, Florida stuff. And remember that's the voter machines? I've, I've, well, we're I'll not going to get into Ohio. Now. Don't get me started on <laughs> yeah, Ohio. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. If you talk about hanging tra- chads, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just, by I the just... way, now check this out. I just thought of something. Mm-hmm. In 2000, they talked about hanging chads. In 2020, they're also talking about it. But now everyone's like the Joker in an incel. Mm. And they're talking about <laughs> Yeah, hanging chads. Totally. It's, you know, as the more things change, the more things stay the same. Hanging virgin versus yeah. hanging chad. Exactly. Um, no, but I just, I just wanted to bring that up and mention that because I actually do really think it's important to understand that, like, okay, the United States. I mean, I know this. I, whatever. This is just me going off for a second, but I just want to say this. Like, I, I think people think of the United States as just a democracy, just a Western democracy. And they don't understand that like we live in the imperial core, mm-hmm. that like we live in the center of it all. And in 2000, there was like a judicial coup to instate a president that then like led to an expanded security state and expanded plunder, both private and for the U.S. government in particular, uh, for 25 years. Yeah. 20 yeah. years. You know what I mean? So, like, it's just really important to understand, like, that little part of the story because, you know, we really haven't talked about Cheney. We haven't fucking talked about Rumsfeld. But, like, these guys are serious dudes. 
Yeah. Like, for as much shit as we talk about the, like, insane cast of, like, like, in a lot of ways, like, I was joking with a friend that, like, the Trump admin feels a lot like a weird, um, like, uh, you know, like, when a sitcom does, like, 20 years later, and they have, like, a reunion show? It's like, uh, it's like the Seinfeld uh, reunion on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, but it's all, like, weird people from different seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't totally make sense. Yeah. Like, that's kind of, like, the Trump admin feels like a real, like, hodgepodge of all of these people that kind of, like, don't fit together. Like, Roger Stone's back. You're like, how could, like, there's absolutely no logical way for, like, John Bolton and Roger Stone to exist in the same <laughs> well, they room. Could, dude. It was, but that's yeah. my point. You know what I mean? And so it's, like, all these people just kind of, like, throwing shit at the walls and seeing who can, like, stick it out in that admin. But, like, the Bush administration was the complete opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, oh, a yeah. real efficient machine yeah the the peanut cabal they they definitely had a plan going way back to the seven i mean obviously you know rumsfeld and cheney were were very senior in ford's administration and also in in reagan's i mean they you know they've been uh scheming for a very long time i part part of this kind of ties into the continuity of government thing uh which every time i talk about it i sound like a sovereign citizen (laughs) (laughs) that you know honestly fine like, if but someone it, doesn't accept, like, the, yeah, no, that's, uh, sovereign citizens are A-OK with me. <laughs> yeah, they just want to make law real, you know. Brace is coming out as a sovereign citizen and a gold bug. Yeah, why not? I love gold and I hate the government. I'm sorry, is this not cool now? <laughs> uh, it's only Jehu. Uh, but they, <laughs> respect, see, respect. Fuck. Oh, yeah, I think he's, uh, sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but somebody somebody was sending weird uh, messages, cryptic messages to people on Twitter, everybody who had ever mentioned Jehu on Twitter for like the past several years, saying no. that there's a podcast that he's doing that's coming. Oh, I'm kind no. of excited for it. Oh, my dude. God. I remember when he unfollowed me and I got so sad. Dude, if that's, oh, dude, if that's finally the Red Kahina cast, oh, shit. It's him versus <laughs> fucking Jehu, or her versus fucking Jehu. Dude, that would, we got to get Jehu on To the our pod. listeners who don't know who Jehu is, Look it up. Yeah, he's the lead singer of the band Drives Like Jake. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's great. I actually, unironically, I, I, he's great. I, I love that block. Yeah, I stand. <laughs> um, I yeah, fully totally. stand. Totally. But the, but the continuity of government stuff, right? Like, they, you know, it, what, I mean, what that was, ostensibly, was, like, in the event of a nuclear attack, there needs to be some people in place who can administer whatever's left of the federal government. And... You know who was who was part of these meetings during the Clinton administration, but Rumsfeld and Cheney, right? Mm-hmm. They're making all these plans, and then when 9/11 happens, they activate this and literally sent a huge number of bureaucrats to basically a cave. I yep. think it was in West Virginia, um, and it's not like it's not so much that they you know quote unquote suspended the Constitution. Like I, I don't even know what that means to do that. But what they did do was they got all these bureaucrats together had them writing new laws, creating new policies. Right. This is yeah. like what the John U. Torture memos came out of this. Yeah, professor at Stanford, by the way. Yeah, yeah, very illustrious professor, uh, professor of war crimes. Yeah, he should and, be, uh, yeah, he needs to, yeah. It was, uh, uh, but it was, wait, hold it, it on. was the bureaucratic coup. Young Chonsky, hit me with the... Yeah, let's do a double... All right, yeah, good. That fucking, that guy is right in our backyard, and he needs a <laughs> little... Taste know. of his own medicine! Parody! Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's true what you say. I mean, like, I, I don't think that people really, uh, again, I get really pissed off about this with all the Trump hysteria just because, like, I don't, 
I don't think that people really fully appreciate how insane the Bush years were. Yeah. And also, like, that we're still living in the situation they created. Like, yeah. the expansion of the executive that happened under Bush, like you say, all the torture memos, basically, literally just writing legal justifications for expanding their own power. Yeah. And, you know, they held up, right? There were very few, I mean... Not even talking about, and we haven't even gotten into the Patriot Act or any of that stuff, but literally just the executive memos that they wrote. I mean, yep. Obama utilized the same justifications, just as Trump is doing. Like, we are still living in, effectively, like, what is a, you know, I mean, this is Cheney's, it's the theory of the unitary executive, right? Yeah. And Congress... You know, now I'm really going to go off. But it's like Congress is basically a functionary, right? Yeah. So you really only have two branches of government. You have the executive that determines everything and then ju the judiciary that, you know, look, you know, I've got a lot of tinfoil stuff to say about the Supreme Court. But, <laughs> I mean, they basically, you know, pick and choose based on what I think is, you know, media stuff on what they're going to check and what they're not. Yeah. Um, so we were, you know, this idea that we have like three branches of government, I mean, it's all bullshit. Maybe I sound like a sovereign citizen now. I don't know. But like, um, it, it's it's really important. This The part of the story that is so important to me is like understanding how, I mean, they just were able to push through the Patriot Act through all of this shit, you know, and, and all the intelligence agencies got what they had been demanding for like 15 years. Yep. And they and they sent uh, they sent bioweapons to a couple of members of Congress to, to, to sure do it. Happened. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into that. Hold on. I have to pee really oh. bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you guys keep talking to keep the energy up. Don't record it or anything unless you guys say something okay. cool. Okay. Okay. But don't okay. talk shit on me either, dude. I actually really do have a theory about because I mean, big law and all that stuff. Where you talk about like skull and bones, Yale people. I mean, yeah. Scotus is like all that shit. Oh yeah. Do you ever read about the alfalfa dinners? No, I don't. Oh, my God. It's scary shit. Because that's like Carlisle group level, like, you know, eyes wide shut meeting style stuff. I mean, it's not sex group, but like, you know, like deep state people. But it's been going back like forever, these like, you know, annual dinners. And like every time they like appoint a like leader of the dinner, then I think they do like a little bit of a roast. But it's like, you know. When you look back and see like who was appointed, it's like, oh, there's Bill Clinton. Oh, there's Obama. Oh, there's yeah. It's like really freaky. They had like, um, I don't think Kavanaugh was there, but it was like some, you know what I mean? It's like that yeah. fucking club. Yeah. So Bezos hosted the dinner this year. Oh Jesus! And they appointed Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. Have you mm -hmm. read the like theories about Romney? Because he's no. fucking crazy. Yeah, he he's. I mean, he's actually nuts. Yeah, he's actually nuts. He's also, like, totally an agent. But yeah. it's like oh, yeah. uh, Bronze Age Pervert has, like, some crazy theories about him, like, wanting oh, yeah. to, like, overtake the government and institute weird religious law. Isn't that what Bronze Age Pervert wants yeah, to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I could get into it, though, because the Mormon shit is weird. Yes. I know. They're definitely I tied up with cartels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That, was, that actually came out in mainstream news, I think, last year. Really? There was, like, a oh. Vice document. I mean... It's Vice, but there was right. a Vice documentary about it. Um, yeah. Or maybe there was a Vice. No, there was a Vice documentary that positioned them as fighting the cartels. Oh, no, uh -huh. what I'm thinking of it was when the Nexium 
member was oh, killed. Oh, yeah, yeah, in Mexico. In Mexico. She was with a bunch of Mormons. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was uh-huh. fucking weird. That was obviously a cartel murder. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. it was a cartel murder, but it was obviously like a, a turf war sort but of thing. But there's like a bunch yeah. of CIA guys in like the Mormon church. Like it's mm-hmm. very oh, yeah, weird. No, yeah, no, they have a yeah, ton yeah. of guys. And in Utah in general is very strange. Well, also, state. But like, what's a great cover right, for absolutely. going around yeah. is dressing like missionary like a, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, anyway, let's get into anthrax. <laughs> let's get, yeah, let's get to anthrax. So, first of all, cool. Cool. they fucking rock, and I am so excited that we're finally doing kind of like a music sort of thing. <laughs> welcome to welcome to nine eleven by Noisy, uh, the Vice music block. We are talking metal. No, so we're we're talking anthrax. Lay some lay some powder on me, baby. Should I jump in? I'll do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. yeah, yeah. I would say I would prefer to the woman as baby. Oh, I'll be baby. No, but I like calling guys baby too. It makes me feel mature. <laughs> we can both talk about it. <laughs> I'm baby. Uh, yeah. So I mean, well, I I guess I could start. Uh, yeah. The the anthrax attacks kind of gotten have kind of gotten forgotten about. Um, because I, I think they basically didn't really work out the way that the people who were planning them intended to. Yes. Um, but basically, a number of a number of for, for maybe for people who uh, don't remember or were too young, uh, uh, a number of envelopes um, filled with anthrax were sent around, uh, primarily to uh, various journalists, uh, and then also to. Two members of the Senate, Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy. I can hear like half our listeners being like, "This is this sounds fucking awesome." <laughs> I mean, it was pretty cool. Unfortunately, uh, it was done by the CIA. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it was. You know, it's still. I mean, the the official story is that they don't know who did it, uh, yeah. and which is kind of insane to think about. I mean, it's the only bioweapons attack that's ever occurred on American soil that we know of. And it was a very uh, special sort. It was like a strain of anthrax that was developed by the U.S. Yeah. military and only available yes. at a handful of labs. And I think only one of them was civilian. Yeah, and Graeme McQueen's book, uh, The 2001 Anthrax mm-hmm. Deceptions, mm-hmm. is really great on this topic. Um, and he, yeah, he runs through it. So there, there were two different, uh, not strains, but two different, uh, types of anthrax that were yeah. sent out that were treated diff- slightly differently in terms of the procedure that they were prepared with. But yeah, the, um, the Dasha one was milled, I think, which made it like easier to inhale. Yeah, but and and particularly the second one that was sent to to uh, Leahy and and Dashel among uh, among others uh, was especially heavily concentrated. Uh, it was uh, that they, they have all these processes for making sure that it stays in the air, essentially suspended. So they t- they uh, do these things to get rid of its static charge. They make sure it doesn't clump together by coating it in things like silicon and things like this. And initially, the story was that um, that this was from Iraq, that this was Iraqi anthrax that had been sent to the United States by people in al-Qaeda. Uh, and it very quickly became clear that the strain of anthrax was one that was uh, chiefly American and used by American and Western labs it was not something that was available to Iraq. Uh, and then the way that it was weaponized was not something that uh, even Iraq could do. I mean, Iraq mm-hmm. had some capacity to, to weaponize anthrax, but uh, A, they, they probably didn't have a, a biological weapons program at this time. And two, what, what this anthrax was, was not something that the, uh, that Iraq could produce. Yeah. Um, and then they, they had this whole, I mean, 
uh, you probably won't be surprised to hear that they first tried to blame a Muslim uh, yeah. scientist working yes. inside the U.S. bioweapons industry. Uh, they picked this second guy to be their their target, uh, and he actually successfully sued the FBI for leaking his name to the Got press. Got like millions of dollars, I think. Yes. And actually, it's very possible that he did actually have something to do with it. Really? Um, he, yeah, he has a weird um, – is this Steve, Steve Hatfield, yeah. I think is his name? Um, he was in – he like is barely a doctor. <laughs> he started off as a lab tech and then he decided he wanted to be a doctor and he went to medical school uh, in South Africa – and he was don't, I don't uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, which like South Africa has a weird history mm. with biological weapons. Like they there were definitely South African government affiliated paramilitaries spreading AIDS yeah. in Mozambique, like all kinds of weird stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, but he was he was in Zimbabwe uh when the Rhodesian government, the the white minority government, uh was using anthrax against the uh the civilian population, the majority black population of, of Zimbabwe. So he was there for that. Mm. Uh, it's not, I mean, it's not clear that he was involved in that, but like, it's very possible. And there were given... like, I think people need to realize there were very few whites actually in Rhodesia. Like it was, yeah, it was not a tiny, tiny number of people, tiny, yeah. tiny mm. number of people. So the idea that like somebody, especially with this sort of background education and connections, I mean, obviously this is before his like ascent or whatever it is, I, I, you know, it, it's more likely than not that he might've seen being friends with somebody. Well, and then obviously he came to the United States and became an anthrax researcher. Exactly, I mean, that's what he did so. It's it's not like it's not like completely. Uh, but but the third person that they picked was this guy David Ivins or Ivins, mm-hmm. I don't pronounce his last name. Yeah, uh, and he committed suicide. I think he OD'd on Tylenol. He OD'd um, on Tylenol, and I think, I think so. Yeah. yeah, they basically. I mean, they were calling him like sex crazed. They were yeah. posting like. He like the media, Lion Fake News Media, mm-hmm. was like portraying him as. Uh, they found like weird message boards that he had commented on that were maybe like quasi, you know. Well, here's the thing: is like with Ivans, is it's if if you look at like the stuff that came out about Ivans after he died, or even before he died, I think a lot of this stuff came out. It, it basically portrays somebody who has problems with addiction. You know, he was an alcoholic. Yep. I think he was trying to get sober. Uh, who, you know, has snapped at a few people in the past, but, like, I didn't see... I mean, all of the stuff, like, where it really seemed like he was a psycho were basically all aspersions. None of it was, like, actual eyewitness accounts or anything. It was all people being right. like, well, I think he might have done this one mm-hmm. weird thing to my house or something like that. And just, like, oh, he's into, like, kind of weird sex stuff. But, like, if you like, if you described any of us this way, like, if somebody... If the FBI took a good look at anybody's life, um, unless you have lived un- the most boring, like, m- like not even though, even boring people do weird shit sometimes. Like all of us are insane. And if all this stuff is laid out, well, of course you can start being like, well, you know, like for me, it's, it's like, well, Brace, you know, he was a drug addict for a while. That's a pretty easy, you know, and like it, all that kind of stuff. It, it makes me really suspicious that all this stuff was just like blasted out. And if you Google this guy, yeah. that's mostly what you get. Yeah. And I mean the 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 fact of the matter was the the NAS uh, National Academy of Sciences did a, a study of what the FBI's investigation consisted of, and basically none of the evidence really holds up. It's not at all clear that it was that it was Ivan's, and also uh, 
you know, this anthrax could not have been made in somebody's basement, right? Yes. No, no, like, no. It requires it, yeah. very complicated technical processes that require extremely skilled people, and it, it probably could not have been done by a single person. But also, um, it, it, would, it had been weaponized for air transfer, which, like, requires, like... Uh, crazy machines and yes. like I think it's like electrostatic charges that have to be like the powder like it has to be charged in order for it to be um like diffused through the air like it just yeah. could not it's this is not like being cooked up in a basement this is not yeah. shaken bath for my little heads out there <laughs> no this is not shaken no. bake anthrax no this is the good shit and and uh yeah Francis Boyle who um is a fish scale uh, He's, he's the guy that wrote um, some of the biological weapons um, mm. uh, legislation and helped with the, the ban. Uh, yeah, he, he took, you know, he, he looked at the, the data about this and concluded that basically this was exactly the kind of uh, state-sponsored, in particular CIA-sponsored bioweapon that, that his legislation was intended to stop. Um, and, you know, all of Ivan's coworkers saw him every day. I mean, they all testified that he just, there's no way he could have done this. He, he's like he, a health yeah. food, like he's a health food guy. He's like a, he wore, he wore fucking bell bottoms for God, which I know, I know people are going to say Charles Manson did too, but I mean, that was also the CIA. <laughs> to be clear. I mean, this guy did work for the de- defense department. Yeah. And he probably did work on bioweapons. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it was literally anthrax. It's a, it is a weaponized form of anthrax he was working with, like for yeah. his job. Right, right, and and obviously they can't talk because it's theoretically illegal. Um, but he probably did. But it, it almost certainly was not him, or not him alone. Um, uh, you know, it's possible that these guys could have been involved at some point, and they were made to, they were sort of made the scapegoat for all of it. Um, but they definitely did not do it alone, uh, and there's no way they could have done it without being noticed. Right. Um, it's a. I mean, when you think about it, it is. It's fucking scary that the CIA mm-hmm. <laughs> has a stockpile of weaponized anthrax that they are willing to use to achieve uh, their political ends. Because obviously the, the end result of this was um, that Daschle and Leahy, who were in a position to potentially at least slow the passage of the Patriot Act or to give right. people in Congress, people in the media, more time to read yes. it, find out what was in it. Um, and it, you know, it passed extremely quickly. Yep. Uh, by their own admission, many people in Congress did not know what they were voting for. Yeah, just really quickly, I want to um, just to lay out the timeline here. So about a week after uh, September 11th, on September 18th was the first anthrax like mailer, if we can call it that. And that one went to journalists. Yeah. And um, I think it killed a, a what was that fucking it was, it's like a tabloid journalist. It was from the Sun, actually. Yeah, uh, a newspaper in Florida, a tabloid in Florida. It was like some very strange, like targets. It didn't really make any sense. I mean, they well, they worked their way up to more high profile ones at like the major news networks and stuff. But the first one, yeah, I found it very odd. That like, why would you send it to this yeah. guy? Well, I I actually have an interesting theory about about Stevens. So this guy is Robert Stevens. He was, yes, he worked for the Sun. Um, the editor of The Sun was this guy uh, whose last name was Irish. I don't remember his first name. But his wife, Gloria Irish, was a real estate agent in Florida. Mm-hmm. And she rented apartments to the 9-11 hijackers. Shut the including fuck up. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no. It's this, this, inter- this conversation is over. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know. Oh, the, my God. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. So, the I, I think that, I mean, and, and maybe we could talk more about this. 
in a little bit, but after you go through the timeline. But I think a big part of this was, you know, they initially blamed these attacks on Al-Qaeda and on right. Iraq. Right. Um, you know, our favorite uh, uh, Judith Butler. Yeah, we got to um, talk. Judith Miller. Judith Miller, I'm sorry. Well, we could talk about Judith Butler, too. I hate her. No, I'm just no, kidding. We, we can't talk about Judith Butler. <laughs> no, we do. Uh, we yeah, hate Judith, Judith Butler. <laughs> Judith Butler yeah, Dane... today came out and was like, socialists are fucking sexist. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, no. well, that's a diff- for a different podcast. Yeah, Ugh. and she's right. Yeah, don't get me started but, on Judith Butler. But yeah, Dame Dame Judy Miller. Um, she <laughs> she was writing a she wrote a whole book uh, that came out not long before she herself was hit with a hoax letter that, that didn't yes. have anthrax, but was a hoax anthrax letter. Yes, she came up with this book about uh, Iraq's anthrax program. Yes, and actually, I think the the week before nine eleven. Uh, she wrote this New York Times article yes. about uh, this Operation Bacchus that the CIA was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, or not the CIA, I think it was the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, yeah. which is theoretically the agency that's supposed to, quote-unquote, protect America from bioweapons. In reality, they just they make bioweapons. But they had um, simulated, I'm making enormous air quotes, uh, how somebody in a cave theoretically could make weaponized anthrax. And this story came out literally a week yeah, September 4th, 2001, cover of the New York Times. Yeah. And so I think very clearly they were trying to sow the seeds of this narrative that uh, Al-Qaeda was responsible for these anthrax attacks. It's, you know, there, there are other things that di- they didn't do that they also seem to have laid the, the groundwork for. Um, uh, the, there was all this talk in the media about crop dusters potentially being used for anthrax. Right. I remember that. And there was this whole, there was a story about this woman who worked at a uni, uh, uh, Department of Agriculture loan office. Basically, if, if you're a farmer, you can't get a commercial loan. You go to this office and they'll give you a loan because America loves farmers. And apparently, Mohammed Otto went there and asked her for a loan to buy a plane, which he said he was going to convert into a crop duster. Oh my God. And he then made yes. these bizarre threats towards her. Mm. Uh, he asked for this aerial photo that she had behind her desk of Washington, D.C. He said he'd never seen a, as good a photo of, of Washington, D.C. <laughs> from the air as that. I think that they were potentially going to do this, and they wanted to lay the groundwork for, here's this witness who saw this thing, had this interaction with Muhammad Atta, or right. potentially a double of him, or whatever. And that would kind of build, help to build this narrative um, that, that Al-Qaeda in Iraq had, had attacked the United States with anthrax. Well, there was a huge freakout, like a public freakout over crop dusters mm-hmm. um, yes. a- a- after after this came out. And I remember at one point they were like, we got to ground all crop dusters. Yeah, yeah. They, they gave the FAA advisement uh, and they, they told people at, um, at like general aviation airports where these planes might be yep. to be on the lookout for suspicious people. Like they really wanted to drive this narrative that, that – uh, crop dusters might be used to, to drop anthrax. And there were so many, you mentioned earlier that, that Judith Miller got a hoax letter. And I think that should be, we should dwell on that for a second because hoax letters way more than actual, I mean, by a magnitude of like a million went out all the time. There was something yeah. like 72 in one day in New York city yeah. um, of, of not just hoax letters, but suspicious packages. I mean, it really, it paralyzed the banking or not the banking, excuse me, the postal system. Um, yep. and, it, and it and it really it did work to some degree of like freaking a lot of people out. Totally, I, 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 yeah. Wanna... And Gray McQueen, one of the things he does that's great is he goes through what the headlines were, mm, and yeah. the word panic comes up all the time in all these stories. And it seems like that's what the media is trying to create is a sense of panic around yeah, these attacks. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing that's like, as you know, on this show, we are not fond of the Lion News media. Um, uh, except if you listen to this show. You're cool. Some of you. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like, it can't be, like, the media writ large is evil. Writ small is also often evil. Because yeah. it's like, the, the, these are propaganda, I mean, whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally. Usually I mean, unintentionally. I think. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the time, yes. Although in the case of Judith Miller, I don't know. Oh, yeah. we should She's met, definitely we, a spook. Yeah, yeah, she's a spook. She's I, fully yeah. a spook. Super, yeah. I want to be clear, I really regret my relationship with her. Oh, my God. We ended it. <laughs> About we ended it eighteen years ago. Well, nineteen years ago, eighteen years and a few months ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. It is. It is. I mean, I, yeah. You. I mean, anthrax especially. I mean, if if you you might have thought it seemed like it was going to come through every fucking mail slot in America. Mm. Yeah, at that point. absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I remember people literally talking about buying. Uh, duct tape and getting that like getting plastic sheeting to put over their windows i mean yes. people i knew literally were talking about doing that yeah it, that was like a huge remember the boxes that they were selling like all these cottage industries kind of like popped up where they were like yeah. okay here's the box with plastic sheeting and duct tape and yeah and yep. all the things and like even i think that like homeland security was pushing this stuff as well um you know, you were supposed to duct tape your windows. Remember all yep. that? Yeah. Oh, I remember that vividly because people, a kid I went to school, his parents did it. Yeah. yeah. My friend Joey, I think it was Joey, his uh, his dad sold weed. He, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was kind of Jewish. Um, he, his parents, I believe it was them, duct taped their windows. Or like they put the, sh- it was like they duct taped the, I think it was, yeah, it was plastic over the windows. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. A re- yeah panic is a good word because it was really an insane time. And well, that's I mean, why I have a little, a, like not a lot of patience for like the time that we're living in right remember now. Remember fucking dirty bombs? <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. I mean, I, it's, it's, it, it seemed, I, there were so many stories and sort of explainers about dirty bombs and how yep. it was so easy and how at any point, I mean, to this day, there's never been a dirty bomb attack, I think, anywhere in the world. Um, yeah. Like, of any kind. Like, even, like, a little dirty bomb. Uh, yeah. But they still, like... I mean, they have them in video games and yeah. stuff still. It's like, they're... It is, it is like... It's a meme, essentially. That was pushed for a reason. But, yeah, really quickly, just to get back on that timeline, because I just want to stress this point, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier, that so you get the first mailing like a week after September 11th, September 18th. And then basically like what's happening in Congress right now is that the Bush administration has proposed the Patriot Act. And, um, you know, it's in- incredibly sweeping. There are, you know, it, it really, you, you mentioned that it was like pretty contentious, but like Congress was actually really iffy about it from the beginning. Um, and it was like really debated and they, they really were not, ready to pass it at all because of how I mean, I mean it was it's complete the way the Patriot Act is written like just to like it, it's this is really complicated but the way the Patriot Act is written is basically like you can't even like read it I know that sounds crazy but it's like not just like a document you can read that lays out exactly what it's doing but basically a series of like ongoing justifications for broader expansions of power that aren't really defined, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way that COG was like, it's, you, yeah. you, 
you say uh, under these circumstances, the the executive branch or whatever agency has these powers to do these things, and you just widen the definition of what that circumstance is to be wide enough to include basically anything, and then you have the legal justification. Because obviously, you know, a lot of these people are just bureaucrats who are just doing their job, uh, doing what they're ordered to do by their boss, mm-hmm. and they need a they need some kind of bureaucratic legal justification to do yeah. this. Uh, which is why people were writing memos justifying torture, but lots of other things. I mean, just this kind of sweeping surveillance in general uh, yeah. and, and all the other things that the Patriot Act did. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of hard to define exactly like everything it did, but I just want to like impress some people that's like the Patriot Act is like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. Yeah. And it like constantly. They wrote it really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They, it's like constantly referencing. Like, previous law, like, there's no way to really understand, like, what it's doing. Like, if you're in Congress or whatever, and you're like, okay, what am I, I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah. Like, it's going to take you a really fucking long time, and with the help of a lot of aides. I was about to say, what they usually do is they have aides sort of summarize these things for me, for them, or, like, make, you know, legislative aides. That's what they do. But there's, like, not really a way to do that without then being like, well, what... Do the FISA, what are the FISA courts allowed to do? But no one can really tell you know what I mean? Like it's it's so sweeping in its legal justifications for, like you said, on you know, expansion of surveillance, which had already been expanded in the 70s, but this was like much, much broader. Yeah, this legalized a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They didn't have to hide in the shed. They they were able to come out of the closet of torture. Yeah. So this was like very, this was a big deal. And Congress was like not on board. No. Like not even the Republicans. No. Um, so there was like a lot of dissent. And then on October 9th, so the first attack, the first anthrax attack is September 18th. The second anthrax attack, which is the one that goes to um, Dashiell and Leahy, is... Uh, that's on October 9th. And that's the one that basically like cuts everything, like everything goes into hyperspeed. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, now Congress is being attacked. This is real. It's Al Qaeda. We got to like pass, pass, pass. And like literally the Patriot Act is passed on October 25th. Did we mention the notes that accompanied these? No, I don't think we did. Well, to read one, it says, oh, at the top, it says 09-11-01. So it's like, 9-11. This is next. Take penicillin. Penicillin's misspelled. Now. Death to America. Death to Israel. Allah is great. Yeah. In like child's (laughs) life. It's like that guy uh, standing with his his flag uh, over somebody's spray painted "Black's Rule." Yeah, on exactly. His, like, on his like sidewalk. I mean, it's. It, I it's literally don't know if it's meant to look fake. Like it's that's how bad it looks. It's. I really so, it's don't like know. I, I encourage listeners of the show. I know you have trouble reading. I encourage you to Google an image of this, and you can just see how bad the handwriting. It just. It's not serious yeah. and of course the notes were photocopied so there was no like way to yes. you know, test for evidence the original was long gone so the the issue the, the, the funny thing about the israel sort of being mentioned in these letters is that there's that bin laden mentioned israel as well as like a big justification for mm-hmm. for 9-11 and i mean is you know the six-day war and a, a lot of the sort of regional conflict with israel and the loss of the arab nationalist regimes uh excuse me governments uh did lead to the rise of of organizations like Al-Qaeda. But, like, they don't care about 
Israel-Palestine. Like, like ISIS doesn't, yeah. like, attack Israel. Right. Al-Qaeda doesn't, like, set off bombs in Israel. Um, and it just lays bare, like, I mean, it, it, it has nothing to do with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Like, Al-Qaeda do not have, like, real contacts with, uh, with Hamas. And they did try to pin... Al Qaeda and Hezbollah as being yeah. friends. In fact, oh, yeah. in the nine eleven commission report, yeah, in Iran, which is they're still trying to do that. Yeah. And um, in, in the nine eleven commission report, they're like, well, it looks like Hezbollah actually trained some of the hijackers, which is exceedingly unlikely. Yeah, it's very dubious. Yeah. Very dubious. Uh, yeah, there's no way. Well, they have. They're currently engaged in. A like decade long war in Syria, Hezbollah and Al Qaeda. So I guess they had a falling out. I don't know. It seems like they had something so good going. There. Uh, and of course, Hezbollah is always denied involved. It it doesn't seem. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's obviously bullshit. Yeah. Um. But but with these anthrax letters, it's like this is the barest of fig leaves. Yeah. Yeah. But- I just want to quote really quickly from new friend of the pod. Glenn Greenwald, mm-hmm. which is, if you're listening, Glenn, hello, <laughs> big fans. But um, this is from a piece he wrote in Salon in 2008. And I just, I think it's like a great way to kind of sum up like why the anthrax attacks are so important. But he writes, after 9-11 itself, the anthrax attacks were probably the most consequential event of the Bush presidency. One could make a persuasive case that they were actually more consequential. And I think you can make that case. The 9-11 attacks were obviously traumatic for the country, but in the absence of the anthrax attacks, 9-11 could easily have been perceived as a single isolated event. It was really the anthrax letters, with the first one sent on September 18th, just one week after 9-11, that severely ratcheted up the fear levels and created the climate that would dominate in this country for the next several years after. I would argue for like 20 years after. I mean, we're still Yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think, like, people need to understand that anthrax attacks and September 11th are, like, the same story. Inseparable. Oh, yeah. And they're the same. I think they're the same operation. I mean, Absolutely. From that yeah, sense, 100%. I mean, yeah. it was ready. I mean, I guess that guy had, what, eight days? To, you know, it's it's insane. Right, exactly. It's like, yeah. Bruce Ivins decided in the eight days after 9-11, or less yeah. than that, I guess, considering mail times, uh, like, four days after, six days after... Uh, to start this like mass terror campaign, it's too bad that he killed himself before we mm, can find all this out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, it is crazy yeah. making, but it is like you know when you're thinking about it, you're like, okay, it makes sense. Like you're gonna need something. You're gonna need a second event mm-hmm. in order to like impress the urgency of the moment. Well, it's like it's like when you're talking to a girl, you go up to her and you say something, but to really take it to the next level, you have to touch her shoulder. <laughs> and then you kiss. And kissing was the Patriot Act. And the other thing, too, is that, I mean, there had been a bunch of, like, you know, Al-Qaeda in Iraq. You know, they were trying to tie Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein mm-hmm. together. What's his fucking name? The dead motherfucker, John McCain. Yeah, but they were trying to do that with just 9-11. Yep. And that was, like, very confusing considering, you know, they were all Saudi nationals. But, like... uh the anthrax letters are when the media and like, you know, government officials in the media really started ratcheting up the connection between Saddam and Al Qaeda. Yep. And like, that's when it started becoming clear that, you know, it would take two years, but that like, you know, the invasion of Iraq was going to happen and, you know, we were going to, you know, Mr. Saddam, Mm -hmm. RIP. 
Yeah. Well, no. I'm just saying. I mean, he was bad. He was. I yeah, don't, no, I'm, I'm not glad he's dead, but he was not a, <laughs> not a good guy. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it's they shouldn't have killed him. Uh, yeah, I think um, it's 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 important to stress how like 9-11 changed a lot of things, but not in kind of the way people think. And it like, killed. This is the death of irony, right? Yeah. What are you talking about? It set <laughs> off a chain reaction that led to the, to the resurgence of irony. Now everything's ironic. Like, not even. But like, that was the thing. That was like. So I feel like it was like. Was it like David Rudnick or some? Oh, this dude, comedy was so fucking. Comedy still. Sucks. It was like in the New Yorker or Vanity Fair or something, and they were nine eleven. Like, they're yeah. like, irony is now dead dude, or something. Nine eleven American like culture was. Some of the most. Oh it was my like, god! Who's the worst? I admire the Cultural Revolution in China for politicizing the populace in a way that had never been done before for such a noble right. cause. Um, but the only thing I can compare it—that's the only thing I can really compare post nine eleven America to, because yes. everyone just mm-hmm. went fucking insane. Don't forget, this is when DOD like made it mandatory that like the military be involved in every sports event. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It just. I mean, it was became the total. I mean, America. People really understand like what America became. It's just because it's just we're used to it now. Yeah. Like this is just like this is the new normal. Is a phrase that I mean. I it really does make MAGA stuff look like pale in comparison in my mind. Yeah. I mean, that's why like people say like. I guess it's a descendant of nine eleven. That's the thing is like when when I think a lot of people maybe even younger people are like kind of confused why like. We get so mad when, you know, people cheer on George Bush mm. now, when liberals are like, I, I, I despise like all liberals, but, um, but like, you know, sort of the, the rehabilitation of George Bush as this like, this, like the friendly guy, he's like, he's, you know, he's like our simple cousin. Who he's been on the farm for a while, right. and aren't you glad? Now to he's visit a him? painter, isn't he? So funny, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, dude, he did nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not a meme it's not a joke like these people did it yeah and it, it really did I, uh rick perlstein wrote an article right after 9-11 about the left about the american left and there's some funny people like adolf reed is cited in it doug henwood um <laughs> and even those people were caught up in this like mm. it it really affected everybody uh you know i guess ward churchill was really the only person who uh yeah who, famous who so. well we gotta we unfortunately gotta wrap up okay um but we're gonna have to do this again sometime yeah i'm sorry this is <laughs> yeah it's it's the thing is with 9-11 is once you start looking into it yeah is my god you could spend the rest of your life on this event and it's it's interesting just how sort of in the mainstream media discredited 9-11 Theor- like truthers, uh, truthers yeah. is it's a joke, and you know I'll tell you what it's funny. They've for done me, a good job of doing that. Immediately after nine eleven, I was like, "This is bullshit," and yeah. for many years afterwards, this is bullshit. And eventually, I was just like, "I don't fucking care." Like it's annoying, you know, blah blah blah. And then I like got back, and I'm like, "This is, I hate these people." Mm. Like they yeah. did this, and it's like I think a lot of people just write it off. Like, well, I know that there was something funny about nine eleven, but every time I look at it, it's so complicated that yeah. like I don't know how to explain that. And it's 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 the classic thing that if you mention you're a wingnut, um, and like it's yeah, it's 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 fucking insane. 
I mean, yeah, it was the I have same. A, I have a, uh, you know, I'm a very amateur person at all of this. I have a lot of respect for people like Fenton, for example, mm, who yep. who literally make it their life to research this stuff. Um, and it, it is, it, I mean, this is a great example just of, uh, of how these conspiracies are kept away from people. It is extremely confusing. Uh, and the press basically just lied about it and didn't cover <laughs> any of the important things that they needed to. And eventually people just, it, it happened in the past. The, the things that um, the people who did it needed to make happen, such as invading Iraq, passing all this legislation, changing the way the American government worked. Um, they got that stuff done. And so <laughs> it doesn't really matter at this point. Those people are mostly retired. And the, the very few people who still give a shit um, are mostly reviled uh, and insulted. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I mean, the whole concept basically of like calling things conspiracy theories is itself like a psyop yeah. right. to discredit things. But um, like it really is. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, just to listeners out there, you are not insane for thinking this. No, stuff. you've got friends no. with us here at True Nine. Like Ben's normal. Yeah, listen to him. Listen to how normal he sounds. I'm just a regular guy. Exactly, and like you, regular guys just listening to this, and regular gals, and everybody else, uh, you can believe this. Like it's not weird to believe this stuff. And actually, if you are, if you come across to your friends as like a normal person, and you talk about this stuff. They will think it's normal. Like that's been my yeah. experience talking about stuff like this, especially since the Epstein stuff has come out. I think mm-hmm. people are willing to uh, engage with this a little bit more, um, and I do think it's important. I mean, I, I think having, uh, I think like the two sides of understanding how this whole imperial system works, right? Like understanding the political theory side of it, um, you know, the immortal science of Marxism-Leninism, and then the other side is like, how do these conspiracies? How do these ruling elites? actually carry out this policy how do they actuate this stuff uh to make this money flow around the way that it needs to so that enough people uh make the profits they need to absolutely well put well ben i'll let you uh, i'll let you go back to your normal beautiful life while i scurry (laughs) off to my gutter that i live in and liz goes uh i don't know i don't know where she goes after these things she doesn't seem to have a home she (laughs) wanders the streets in a long black veil. In a tinfoil hat. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining us. We will have, dear listeners, a part... It's going to take us longer to prepare for. But we are going to have a part three of... This is Seth Abramson-style threading. We don't yeah. know when it's going to end. We have no idea. There's too much to cover. There's way too Sorry, much to cover. Sorry, you didn't want us to do this. Shouldn't have done 9-11. <laughs> That's right. This all could have been avoided. All right. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Oh man, Booyakasha! <laughs> Remember that? That was pretty funny when we did that. You know, that's the 9/11 era thing. That's true. I guess I'll Ali say G. Ali G was 9/11 comedy that was funny. You know, it was funny. Yeah, it, absolutely. He only like he only after post Borat he sucks, and I guess he's like Borat was funny. Yeah, I said post Borat. No, I know. I'm just re- I'm just saying for myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, woman <laughs> discovers Borat's funny. This is bullshit. I don't get any credit for saying Borat's funny because of the new feminist era. 
I'm just kidding. I'm doing pretend sex. Remember right when um, he happened upon a child sex ring and the FBI was like, whoops, no thanks. Yeah, what if you come on the podcast because of that? Um, I don't think he would come on. And he's probably too tall, too. I don't like it. He's also very much like, I'm an actor now. Like, he's okay. all in, like, movies where he's a real thing and not, like, his comedy person. Really? I kind of get that vibe. Yeah, he should have They all want to the... go on this, like, serious turn to get the rewards. He's and just it's a like... Jewish David Spade. <laughs> he's just a... He's a... I don't think that's true. I do think that's well, true. Well, I know you said it. Yeah. I just... Yeah. Yeah. I guess... Touche. Thank you <laughs> for being such an asshole. <laughs> I just nervously giggled there because I was so, uh, I don't like you. That's not, Brace, don't say things like that. I'm sorry. I love you. Thank you. Oh, I love you too, Brace. I would love to love you to death. <laughs> Forever. Of yours. Well, that's not In nice. In the grave. Brace. Yard. But it's a <laughs> shitty one. Where people pee and play dice. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Uh, I have, um, lots Wrong with me? Oh, God. Uh, thank you for talking to us about 9-11, everybody. <laughs> Listen, I've had a long day. i got to go speak at an A meeting after this. Liz has been staring daggers at me for the past four hours. That's not true. Yeah, it's been... Yeah, it's true. All right. Get us out of here. Okay. Well, I was waiting for you to start getting us out of here. See, this is what I'm saying. I always got to get us out of here. I always got to get us in here. This is not... No, no, no. This ends... Next episode, I'm silent. My name... My name is, is, my name might as well be dirt to some people around here, but in reality, <laughs> in the world where people respect me, my name is Brace, and I'm proud of that, and nobody can take that away from me. No one else has named that. It's, it's a, it's, all right. What about Brace Jones? No, no, no. Who's Brace Jones? Brace <laughs> Everyone Jones? knows Brace Jones. I think one guy from the band, I might have mentioned this before, a guy from the band The Gossip, which is a dog shit band from Portland. Is that that weird, like, dance it's like dance punk or something. Yeah. Ditto. ditto. Oh my God, that band is so bad. Well, speaking of Ditto, there's a fucking guy in that band with the same name as me. Little name Ditto right there. Here's what. I think you're a Dodo. <laughs> that was cute. Yeah, thank you. So <laughs> fuck you, Brace. I hope you don't listen to this. Um, and I'm joined by... I'm Liz. And of course, our, our faithful friend and... Uh, guy who used to play in the gossip young chomsky liz play us out bye-bye Bye-bye.